Hello, listeners. Thank you for joining us for the Real Perspectives podcast. We hope you'll enjoy this episode and share it with your colleagues and friends because it has some nugget of information that may pertain to your daily work. There are more episodes in our library, too, so if you like them or have any thoughts, ideas, or suggestions, please don't hesitate to reach out. Thanks again. Hello, listeners. This is your host, Vladimir Bosanets. I'm the co-founder and publisher of The Registry. Today on the podcast, I have the pleasure of introducing Sean Burton, the Chief Executive Officer of Los Angeles-based CityView, one of the leading developers and operators of workforce, attainable, and market-rate multifamily properties across a number of Western U.S. markets. Our conversation focuses on Shaw's leadership of CityView, strategic goals for the organization, as well as a perspective and outlook on the market in the near to midterm. It's an interesting time for multifamily developers and operators, but CityView's leadership has kept the firm on a steady path to date, and we venture to guess it will do so in the future as well. Welcome to the podcast, Sean. Sean, good afternoon. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing well. Where do we find you today? Good. I am in Los Angeles today, and it is a beautiful day. It rained for the last, I don't know, 10 days, and I'm looking out at the Pacific Ocean, so it's pretty nice. Great, great. And you guys had some snow also come in Southern California, which is very unusual. How was, yeah. uh, how was that experience? Yeah, I can see it on the mountains, and uh, I've, you know, I've lived here for a long time, and I've never seen this much snow, so it's yeah. crazy weather right now. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Um, well, Sean, thank you for joining us. I, I'm, I'm really, I'm really looking forward to our conversation. Um, as kind of an introduction and by way of you know telling us a little bit about yourself, um, you know, tell us how you got to where you got to and kind of how you know the road of your career, if you will, led you to to this position. Sure. Uh, yeah. So I, I was one of the co-founders of City View back in 2003. So this is our 20th year anniversary, uh, which is amazing. Um, and before that, uh, I had worked in politics. I worked in the Clinton White House right out of college. Uh, and then I went to law school uh, in New York uh, at NYU uh, and then worked for a big law firm uh, for a number of years. And then I actually went in-house uh, at Warner Brothers to do uh, corporate venture capital and strategic investing, and they were launching their kind of technology and internet platform. Um, but I always missed, you know, I missed real estate when I was a lawyer. I had, I had worked on a lot of real estate matters and taking real estate investment trust public and um, worked for a number of, uh, of great companies. And obviously, I liked politics and I liked cities and was really looking for something that could marry my love of investing and business uh, with, you know, what was happening in real communities and real estate, real estate seemed like the perfect, perfect kind of fit for that. So, um, so we launched the firm in, in 2003. And the thesis was really that um, there was going to be a, a movement back to cities. You know, the right. kind of thinking at the time in real estate in Southern California was that, for housing is if you just, you know, went and bought land off the next freeway off ramp uh, that, you know, people would come. If you build it, they will come. Uh, and we had a thesis that there was actually going to be a generation of people who would want to live more in cities near their jobs so they wouldn't have to spend as much time in a car, near nightlife, near culture, near restaurants. Um, and so the, the, 
company that we started, the explicit focus was to to do work to do kind of infill workforce housing. So yeah, suburbs and cities, but also really focus on you know uh, police officers, firefighter, nurses. Um, you know, young workers that were just starting out their career, and this was their first or second apartment. And so that was the, the thesis of the firm, and you know, we've been going strong ever since. Yeah, and 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 I caught this just as while you were talking about this, but it, it seemed like you you said that in past tense, but but you you don't necessarily think that you know that trend is not there anymore. You're you're just sort of saying this is how the company started. Do you still feel that that thesis is you know valid in terms of what you guys do and how you do it? Yeah, the thesis is definitely valid. And although I will say, you know, I was questioned by a lot of the folks during the pandemic. You know, <laughs> yes. It was clearly a, a narrative. You know, we're in a lot of the coastal markets that everybody was moving out of California and moving to Boise or or Nevada or Dallas or Florida. Um, and clearly there was some migration and movement there. But the fundamentals that have, you know, really you know, led to, um, you know, kind of led people to move the cities yeah. uh, and cities to grow over the last hundred years. Those, ha- those haven't changed. Um, it looks a little bit different for sure. Uh, you know, I think you've seen some struggle with central business districts, you yeah, know, right. product. Um, you know, that, that's not a market we've ever been in. We've done over 120 projects and we've never actually done a high rise by design. Um, we like, you know, mid-sized buildings, five stories with maybe ground floor retail that are that are not in downtown, but near downtown and uh, maybe a place where, you know, millennials want to live that has a little more, you know, a little more excitement, a little more culture, a little more character. Um, and so that's been our thesis. And we've definitely seen that continue to be be strong kind of, you know, through recessions, through the pandemic. Uh, it's still, uh, you know, it's still a place that people want to be. Yeah, and, and Sean, if you don't mind me asking, but I'm just sort of curious on a on a personal level, how did you decide, you know, residential real estate versus commercial or retail or some other food group, if you will? Yeah, so it's interesting you ask. I mean, for for me personally, um, you know, I have an interest in politics and public policy, and you know, that was my first job, and we've continued to stay engaged, you know, kind of in civically and politically since. You know, I, I, what I loved about housing is that, you know, we're solving a problem. Uh, you know, we have a, a desperate housing shortage in in California. Uh, we have one in L.A., you know, just to, to use that as an example. I mean, you know, we just came out with our regional needs assessment uh, and we need, you know, just under uh, 500,000 uh, new apartment units uh, right. over the next eight years. Which means we got to build. I, th- I think it's something like fifty-seven thousand a year, and and twenty-three thousand of that you need to be kind of true affordable. Um, well, we were even before the pandemic when everything was firing on all cylinders, we were building about fifteen thousand a year. Uh, so, you know, not only do we have a, you know, do we have a lack of housing, but we're we're not building enough, and we're not going to build enough going forward to address this issue. So, I love the idea of kind of the double bottom line concept, you know, how can we take investors capital, uh, invest that, you know, get them a market rate kind of fair risk adjusted return for that and actually improve the communities that we're in by, you know, creating critical, 
uh, housing for uh, the people who live and work in those communities. So to me, it was kind of a two plus two equals five scenario. And, and you know, I've been really excited to be, you know, part of a mission-driven company that's been able to, to execute on that. Yeah, wonderful. And so tell us about City View. So you guys started it almost 20 years ago. And, you know, how many people were involved in the company at that point? And kind of where are you guys today, just in terms of like, you know, the timeline and maybe some kind of big, uh, you know, milestones along the way? Yeah, so it, it's been quite a 20-year journey. There were four or five of us that, that started the company in the kind of first few months of, uh, of 2003. Um, and, you know, we raised some institutional capital uh, that we didn't have full discretion over, um, on, you're kind of under the, under the thesis of, you know, creating workforce housing and infill communities. Um, and, you know, we've really grown like gangbusters since then. Um, when we initially started the firm, we were just uh, an allocator. So we would raise the capital and then we would partner with operators or developers and provide them capital and help asset manage the, the projects. Really, during the downturn in 2008 and 2009, uh, we realized we just weren't close enough to the real estate. Uh, we had a number of partners get in trouble or go bankrupt or lose their focus, and we had to take a bunch of projects back and run them ourselves. And so we made a decision at that point to really vertically integrate uh, and to build out the platform. And we, so we started with you know, building out a development team. Uh, then we went to construction management. Um, then we started doing general contracting for our value-add assets, and then we finally added property management about five years ago. Uh, so we've now grown to you know, north of 150 people today. Okay. Uh, all of those people just focus on assets that CityView is invested in with our partners and clients. So we don't we don't do any third party, you know, for hire property management or construction management. Every one of those people is focused on kind of driving investment returns for for our clients. And, um, you know, I think it's it's been an evolution for the company and we're obviously a lot bigger and more complicated than we were before, but I think it's given us an advantage in our ability to, to execute. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And where is City View in terms of geography and kind of, um, uh, you know, where, where is your sort of, you know, where are most of your projects based? Where was your activity, uh, you know, focused over these last 20 years? And maybe, you know, will, will that evolve and, you know, change? Are you looking at some new, uh, sure. new areas as well? Sure, yeah. So, so we are focused on the western half of the country. Um, so you look, if you look at the footprint of places that we built and we bought and and, you know, done value-add projects. Um, it's really kind of coastal California, so San Diego, Orange County, you know, greater Los Angeles, uh, very heavy in the Bay Area. We've done a lot in, um, in the East Bay and the Peninsula and some projects in San Francisco as well. Uh, we're also in the Pacific Northwest, Portland and Seattle, uh, then over to Denver and Boulder, uh, which are some of our kind of favorite markets in the country. And then down into, you know, through Salt Lake into Phoenix and into Dallas and Austin and Texas. So, um, you know, these are all markets that that have really strong demand. Uh, yeah. You know, if you look at, you know, we're a data-driven company. And so we're always looking at, at kind of the latest data and metrics. And if you look at population growth, job growth and income growth across those markets, um, they really far outpace the rest of the country. Yes. Uh, 
But then what's really interesting for most of those markets, and particularly the ones that we build in, is it's very difficult um, to to get permits and to build new projects. So, you know, so the supply is quite weak, Um, you know, and, you know, generally the rule of thumb is you want to create, you know, for every kind of three new jobs you create, you want to create a, a housing unit. Um, really to keep things in equilibrium. Um, and our markets average almost 10 new jobs uh, for <laughs> right. apartment unit, right. which is why right. we have crisis, right, and, and these things. So we, we like to be part of that solution, and we can match that strong demand with the weak supply. Um, we think it, you know, it's, it, you're able to come in a community, do the right thing, and also make solid returns for your investors. Yeah, and, and what's interesting about those markets, you know, as you look now, you know, perhaps m- maybe 20 years ago, they they weren't quite, uh, you know, specifically focus on you know technology, but I think today, you know, you talk about Bay Area, uh, uh, you talk about Portland, Seattle, um, even Southern California with all the media stuff, which is now moving into tech as well. Certainly, growth in Denver, Austin, Boulder, right? I mean, it, it's kind of like you're you're following where the tech jobs are, uh, it, it, and you say you're data driven. Is that is that one of your considerations that that you guys? Um, you know, feel very strongly about, um, uh, or, or is it just pure growth in terms of jobs, jobs overall? No, it, it, it's got to be the right kind of job. So tech is clearly an important factor, um, but but we we really focus on jobs, and we're targeting not just broader communities, but also submarkets. And in fact, yeah. one of my partners here likes to say, you know, we're not in the real estate business; we're in the jobs business because that's what we we focus on. Um, so you know, clearly, technology jobs are. Are very important because there's a lot of data and research that has been done that shows that when you have kind of higher paying technology jobs in a community, it creates a whole ecosystem of of people who support those jobs, right? right. That's right. Yeah. Drivers or restaurants or dry cleaning or you know, just it creates an uplift for entire community. Um, so, so we definitely focus on, on places where there's kind of good technology jobs, but there's also other, you know, uh, you know, other industries as well. Um, you know, LA has obviously a huge content creation business, entertainment and gaming, et cetera. Um, healthcare is a great, you know, is a great, uh, generally kind of, uh, recession proof industry, um, which is now, I think, the largest, in, you know, the largest geographic, cl- the largest job cluster in LA is now healthcare. Oh, um, interesting. We, okay. Yeah, that um, we do. We like life sciences as well. Yeah. We yep. In that ecosystem, um, but these are all jobs where you get people from kind of all over the country and the world who want to move, you know, to places that have these clusters because they see an opportunity to to build their career and to grow. And to build some wealth for their families, and so we like to provide housing for you know for those workers. Yeah, yeah. When you look at the state of the market, and we're talking here, you know, Q one of twenty twenty three here still. Um, you know, what do you think will be kind of the you know drivers of of what happens you know this year, next year, kind of the more immediate future, right? What, what do you like, and what don't you sort of like about the market? Yeah. So, so I would say it, it's. You know, it's really a tale of two cities now with what's happening in the real estate business. Um, on the, at the asset level, the ground level, the performance of multifamily assets, those are still driven by those basic supply and demand factors that um, that, that I just talked about. You know, in, in the markets where you continue to have job growth, you have a educated workforce, um, you have incomes growing. So the jobs that are that are growing there aren't just service jobs, but 
um, but are but are high paying jobs where people can afford to, you know, to to rent a unit and to raise a family, et cetera. Um, you know that you've continued to see that those fundamentals to be strong uh, in a lot of the markets that I talked about, um, and then in the markets where you don't build enough housing. Um, you have upward pressure uh, on rents, right? And yeah. help drive drive returns. So that's that's kind of the first city. The, the second city is the is the financial markets. You know, interest rates. Uh, you know, be, you know, being uh, you know obviously uh, raised by the Fed, driving higher interest rates uh, at banks and debt funds. Um, that affects cap rates. That affects value. That affects transactions. So. You know, for, for our markets, we're still bullish um, in the medium to long term, uh, but it's difficult to do new deals today. You know, we're talking here in the in the beginning of March uh, in 2023. It's difficult to get price discovery uh, on projects because the financial markets are so haywire. So right. that'll sort right. itself out. It always does. But, you know, for, you know, our investment thesis is to kind of stick to the fundamentals, to be patient um, I think we're always disciplined, but we're being even extra disciplined now um, because, you know, we we think, you know, there may be a couple of good opportunities now, but there's going to be a lot more coming later, the latter part of this year and into 2024. So that's that's how we think about the markets and opportunity. Do you do you say that because you anticipate you know distressed sales, um, you know, companies kind of having to get get out of you know properties and things like that? Um, are, are those things that you anticipate will happen this year and next? Yeah, we, 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 we clearly think you're going to see some distress in the market. Um, there was quite a bit of real estate purchased in, you know, 2021. And there, yep. yep. for example, with, uh, with variable rate debt and maybe two year caps that are expiring, it's going to be challenging for a lot of those operators to, you know, to buy a new cap uh, or to generate the cash flow necessary to continue to pay those loans. And, you know, a lot of them will be in a position where they have to sell. Um, yeah. I think we think that'll create opportunities. Um, also, you know, at some point, debt markets will calm down and interest rates will come down again. And, uh, and there'll be more availability of debt capital, which will also, you know, you know, help generate more transaction volume. So, yeah, yeah. so we're, we're, again, we're, we're confident in the fundamentals of these markets. It's just going to take a little bit of time to work through some of the financial market turmoil that we have today. Yeah. And this is somewhat related, but I did notice over the last couple of years, there, there were, you know, a lot of funds were announcing, you know, institutional capital money, you know, big money coming into into the space, uh, you know, forming apartment funds, especially sort of West Coast focus and that kind of stuff. You know, has that subsided a little bit um, with the sort of economic realities of where we are? Um, or do you still see a lot of kind of dry powder, you know, sitting on the sidelines sort of waiting perhaps for the same opportunities you are? Yeah, I think, I think there's quite a bit of dry powder out there. Uh, I think a lot of funds were raised um, a lot were deployed as well. There was a real rush in particular. And, you know, we've heard from some large institutional investors that they're now overexposed to the Sun Belt, you know, not because they intended to be, but because they invested with a number of national managers and all the managers. And these managers went in and bid against each other uh, on assets in the Sun Belt and really drove up the cost. Um, so, we, so that I think that's an interesting, you know, interesting dynamic uh, going forward. I do think fundraising generally has been, 
you know, slower um, for new funds the last few yeah. months because institutions have faced a denominator effect where their equity portfolios have taken a large hit um, and the real estate portfolios haven't to the same extent. And that's created an imbalance and maybe a unintentional over allocation to real estate. Uh, I think you're seeing that start to break now. You're seeing that, you know, equity markets you know, recover somewhat. I think you're seeing some write downs with some debt portfolio or some real estate portfolio. So that's coming more into balance. But I think that's slowed, you know, fundraising of new uh, of new kind of real estate funds. Yeah. On the sort of overall kind of market, um, you know, perceptions, and not just what you guys want to do, but just in terms of kind of where the industry is, you know, heading. Do you see, um, you know, wh- where do you see people who are going out to value add versus, you know, development? Um, how, how are companies making those evaluations? And again, not used guys specifically, but ju- just in terms of the market uh, overall. So I would say it's it's uh, it's an interesting time. Uh, you know, the vast majority of multifamily capital that's out there is targeted on value add or core. Uh, there's very there's not as much targeted on development, uh, which frankly creates a lot more opportunities in development because you don't have the same sort of feeding frenzy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, development is also less of an efficient marketplace, right? You you the you know for value add. Um, you know, it's not that complicated to underwrite an existing value-add asset and, you know, understand what rents are at your comps and understand what your loss to lease is and understand what your debt costs are or your operating expenses. Um, you know, you, you can distinguish yourself as an operator in your execution on value-add, and so I think that matters. But but it's, it's more of a commodity product than development where – you know, every land deal is a snowflake, and you often have to understand entitlements and community sentiment, and sure. you really have to be able to execute on the construction of your building and control costs. Um, so, so we think there's actually more development opportunities right now than value add opportunities. Uh, you, you don't see much value add, kind of uh, you know, many value add projects on the market right now. Transaction volume is way down. Also, if you own a value-add asset today and you're able to cover your debt service, there's really no need to sell, right? Unless right. there's some other extraneous factor that's forcing you to. What we see a lot in the land space for development is we see sellers who, um, who you know, don't have cash flow uh, to cover their loans right now. Maybe they're coming out of pocket uh, and have more of an urgency or a need to sell in the near term. Uh, and that creates an opportunity for people with dry powder who understand how to kind of execute on a, on a ground-up development project. Yeah. So, so we're seeing some really interesting uh, transactions on that front um, and are spending a fair amount of time uh, you know, working, you know, working on those kinds of deals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When we first connected a couple of weeks ago, maybe more than a couple of weeks ago, it's been, I feel maybe a couple of months now. Um, I think you made a statement that you know Q four was kind of like a wait and see quarter, right? A lot of sort of uncertainty. What's what's going to happen, right? And and everyone was kind of anticipating that maybe Q one is going to be kind of a some kind of a you know telltale sign of maybe how the year might look. Do, do you still? Um, you know, do you still feel the market is still holding back like they did in Q4? Um, or has there been a little bit of more clarity in terms of like maybe how things will play out this year? I, I think you're saying the market still hold back. 
you know, we've had a couple of inflation numbers that have been concerning, right? You had a big jobs number and, and, you know, in January that, that, you know, gives pause to people who think the Fed is going to stop raising interest rates or, or start lowering rates. Um, so I think you still have a somewhat of a, a holdback or a pause from a lot of, a lot of institutions, a lot of capital, uh, and a lot of operators. I do think that you've seen a decent, you know, a decent Q1 in terms of rent growth and occupancy. Um, we had, you know, we had a really, really strong 2022 first yeah. three quarters. I think maybe the, the strongest we've had since we started the firm in 03. And then you saw a little bit of a, of a curtailing or cooling off in Q4 as there were layoff announcements and you got into the, the holidays. But we've been pleasantly surprised with the kind of positive uplift in January and February um, across our projects. So, um, I, I, again, it's, it's back to this tale of two cities. You know, the fundamentals on the ground are strong. Uh, you know, you still see, um, you know, you, you, you still see a lot of interest uh, in, you know, in moving into projects. You know, I was just in the right before I walked into this interview, I was uh, grabbing a cup of coffee in our cafe and I was listening to two people who work here talk about how frustrated they are because they want to they need to. They need to rent two bedroom apartments and they can't find anything less than four thousand dollars and there's no occupancy available, no vacant units in, in Los Angeles. So so you still have this kind of mismatch between supply and demand and you know, people who need to move into good apartments. Um, and your disruption that you have is really on the capital market side with interest rates and, and debt and and inflation. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. If we shift gears a little bit now towards, you know, City View and you, what you guys are up to, you know, wh- what's sort of in the pipeline for this year for you guys and, and even beyond? Yeah, so we are, uh, you know, we're, we're very active and busy. You know, we have over 50 assets that we own uh, and run. Uh, and so, you know, we're, we're out there in hand-to-hand combat every day uh, on those assets. Uh, we have um, something like 30. 300 units on some stage of development. Uh, We're actually delivering four projects this year, um, the earliest as of uh, end of this month. Uh, We're starting four additional ground-up projects uh, this year. Um, So we're very busy on that front from an standpoint, our development and construction management and and asset management teams. Um, And then we're actively out, um, you know, looking for deals. Uh, You know, one you know, one type of deal that we really like in this sort of uncertain market, and, and we did a lot of this in the last downturn in kind of 08, 09, 2010, is to look for land deals that, that need some sort of entitlement uh, to to a higher and better use um, and to, you know, work with this, you know, work with sellers on that front to, to you know, pay them option payments and, and, you know, for us to take the lead on taking a project through, you know, through approvals and getting, you know, kind of the appropriate, you know, appropriate entitlements um, and then having the option a year or two from now to to build those projects from the from the ground up. Um, that's yeah. an, it's, it's a way to control a lot of land at a challenging time in the market, you know, in markets that you believe in and get great optionality going forward. So, so we have a number of those deals now that we either have under contract or we're in the process of putting under contract that'll, that we think will keep our team busy for the next five, six, seven years. 
Okay. Okay. Well, that's that's good. I'm sure they're happy. <laughs> Better <laughs> they're, than not being busy, right? Happy. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Um, your focus has been, as you said, primarily on workforce housing, right? Do you see opportunities in the future to go beyond that? Well, uh, let me define how we talk about workforce housing because yeah, really, please means different things to different people, and I want to be clear on this front. Um, in our markets, if you want to build housing that is available for less than the median income renter, right? someone who makes less than 100% of the area median income, you really can't build that without some sort of government subsidy. right? You need tax credits or you need grants or you need something from the state. Um, that's not a business that we're in. There's a lot of people who do that and they do that effectively, but it's very laborious, very time consuming. Um, we really focus on kind of workforce or attainable housing, which is market rate housing, but you're people making kind of 100 to 180 or 200 percent of AMI. Um, yeah. A place like Los Angeles, just to put that in context, um, you know, I have a brother who's a firefighter and married to a school teacher and you know if they're making 120 or 130 thousand dollars a year you're at about the 200 percentile uh, of area median income and so we want to build apartments that are affordable to people making up to that amount um and so you end up seeing you know police officers and firefighters and nurses and teachers in there but you also see a lot of you know young you know tech executives and others that are starting out and um, and then often when people leave our, you know, our apartments, they are, you know, maybe they're buying a first time home or, um, or, you know, doing something similar to that. So that's really what we target. Um, what you don't see us doing is any high rise, any ultra luxury or anything like that. Again, not that that's not a good business. It's just not the, the, the segment of the market that we focus on. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I guess my question was, you know, is this a time, you know, 20 years on where you guys might look in other areas or, or are you sort of sticking to kind of your knitting at this point? You know, we're, we're, we're sticking to, to our knitting. Um, you know, California is the fourth largest economy in the world, right? Surpassing Germany. And, um, even though we have half as many people as live there, so we're incredibly productive, yeah. uh, Pacific Northwest, um, you know, Portland and Seattle have, you know, incredible demand characteristics and great job growth. You know, I talked about Denver earlier, you know, as a market that is, is very diverse um, in terms of, of jobs, but more affordable live. And, and with many, you know, the kind of the number one place millennials say they want to move in the country. So we're going to continue to focus like a laser on the West Coast markets um, in these in this product type. Uh, and, and, and within multifamily, we do development. That's probably, you know, the, how people think about City View. But half of our projects or more have actually been value out or core plus. Um, we just tend to, to get less press about those. Um, but so, so kind of everything from from you know bu- you know building existing core and operating that for uh, you know operating that for the long run to core plus to value add to opportunistic ground up development is what we'll continue to focus on in these key kind of supply constrained gateway markets. Yeah. Western Africa. And look at at some point, would we jump the Mississippi if we could, you know, do the right deals and, and, you know, key markets, for example, on the East coast that, that meet our, our fundamental tests. We might, we've had opportunities too, but 
but we've certainly liked the the continued opportunities of the the western half of the country no makes sense makes perfect sense and um as you look at sort of you know post covid post kind of a lot of things that have evolved in our lives in the last few years how do you look at the product evolution as well? Like, has 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 is that changing? You know, is is what you are delivering now? You know, different. I think I saw one of your projects. This is a couple of years ago. You know, in the Bay Area was like you know fully electric, for instance, right? That that was sort of one one aspect of it, right? But but yeah. I don't know if if there's other aspects of it in terms of just you know size or you know what what's offered as amenities and things like that. That's also evolving. Yeah, it's an interesting question. Um, you know, clearly, you know, things have changed in the last few years as, as far as how people work and going into the office, right? That's, you're seeing hybrid models now or work-from-home models. Um, I, I would say that, you know, we have always had an amenity in our projects, at least for the last decade or so, called CV Works, which has been a flexible co-working space that we put in all of our projects um we also have rooftop decks in all of our projects that's kind of a city view signature um those have always been popular but have continued to get even more popular with a greater percentage of people working from home some days per week so we continue to kind of grow and expand those amenities uh in the in the markets that we're in because we find that they're very very popular um we also probably are are doing a few more what we call premier suburban deals than we used to do. Um, for example, we have a deal now that we are doing in Walnut Creek in the Bay Area. Um, that is a great kind of bedroom community to all the jobs in Silicon Valley and San Francisco and down into Oakland. Um, you know, this project happens to be quite near the BART line, which is a major mode of transportation up there. So we would say that, you know, locations like that have become even more important post-COVID than before. Because, you know, may maybe you were going in five days a week in 2018 and 19, and then during COVID you were remote for two years, but now your employer in Silicon Valley wants you back three days a week. So you can no longer live in Sacramento at half the rent. You have to be close enough to get in three days a week. So a community like Walnut Creek where you get the, the benefits of jumping on the BART line and getting down to your job, but you can also live in you know little lower cost of living than San Francisco, a little bit more of some kind of premier suburban amenities. You know that that could be more attractive. So we're, I would say, we continue to expand. It's not a radical change, but it's a kind of the next concentric circle of opportunities. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Um, Sean, as we close our conversation here, I, I, you know, um, would love to, you know, ask you a little bit about, you know, lessons learned, maybe some advice to your younger self. Um, I imagine part of our audience here, you know, will be, you know, will be, a, will be a younger demographic, you know, maybe looking to get into the industry somehow, right? Or, uh, you know, maybe even looking at City View as a, as an opportunity for, you know, you know, jobs as well. Um, you know, what, what would you, you know, that's three different questions. I realized <laughs> that, so <laughs> I'm sorry, <laughs> but yeah. what would you, you know, number one, you know, lessons learned, number two, tell your younger self and number three, you know, how would you advise someone kind of, you know, trying to get into this, uh, you know, space? Yeah. So, so, so one of the times, you know, lessons learned, I think are, you know, to, to always focus on the fundamentals. Uh, I, I think a lot of times, you know, I've heard in my career and, when I was first starting out as a lawyer in the kind of late 1990s or during the GFC, right before the GFC or before COVID or even now, a lot of people say, oh, well, this time is different. You know, things are so fundamentally different. The, the old lessons and rules don't apply. Um, 
you know, I, I definitely think fundamentals are fundamentals for a reason. And it doesn't mean that things don't change or grow or evolve, but it's important to, to always understand the fundamentals. And we've, we've tried to do that with our kind of supply and demand thesis for what we build and where we build and how we build and how we look at investment opportunities. And, and it's, uh, you know, th- th- things always seem to revert somewhat to the mean. Um, so I think, uh, you know, really understanding the fundamentals and applying those and whatever your thesis is, I think that's been a, a valuable lesson. I think another one is, you know, not to fall in love with the real estate. Um, you know, it's, you, you know, you got to do a number of thing, things right to make money in our business. You know, generally you have to buy the asset right. Uh, you have to execute it, uh, execute well. Um, and, you know, and, and do a good job on that front. But then you have to sell it right also. Um, and I think sometimes I see people get too enamored with a project or a building or a location and talk themselves in and to not selling when, uh, you know, when the market is right. And so I think it's important to, to remember that. And that's definitely a lesson that, that was imparted to me by a very wise investor uh, many years ago and that we've really tried to, to stick to. Uh, in good times and in tougher times. Yeah, yeah, excellent. Well, Sean, thank you so much for your time. Uh, this was wonderful. Uh, loved learning more about you and uh, City View, and uh, best of luck in the remainder of this year. Great. Thank you very much for having me on today. I appreciate it. That was another episode of the Real Perspectives podcast, and we thank you for taking the time to listen to it. Conversations like these help us comprehend our evolving industry better and hopefully provide a perspective that helps you understand the dynamics of commercial real estate. If you like this episode, please subscribe to our show and tell your colleagues about it. That is the best way to spread the news and help us remain relevant across the industry. Cheers. Cheers.